to both hear and to watch Miss Brittany sing, and she sings from her heart. Thank you for ministering to us. It's good to have our daughter Jordan 
home with us for the weekend, and even good to have the other Jordan with us as well uh, this morning. If you haven't met Jordan's boyfriend, Jordan, uh, then we would encourage you to uh, get to meet them. We're thankful for them being able to be with us uh, for a few days this weekend, and good to have other guests with us with us as well. In your bulletin, I failed to mention a while ago, and I meant to, uh, is just a brochure about our Christmas offering, and I know that uh, Pastor Matt talked about this a little bit uh, last week, but we have really put an emphasis this year on uh, the next generation and, and really trying to do some things to, to continue to reach young families uh, through both our school and our church, and one of the ways that we have done that is to remodel our children's wing, our youth wing, if you've not been over there to see that, and then also uh, this year we're trying to raise the funds to uh, be able to finish a, a playground project that we are starting that we will be able to use in both our preschool, our daycare, our day school, our church. And so a, some, some gifts have already been given towards this project. And so this is the remaining that we need. And I just ask you to, to pray. I always do this at Christmas because Kim and I, uh, every year at the, we have a Christmas list, and on that it has how much we're going to spend for each person on that list, a budget, a Christmas budget. But several years back, we began uh, putting a, a special gift to the Lord through our church on that list. And so I just encourage you to pray if the Lord speaks to your heart to give towards this. That's what it will give to if you want to give an end-of-the-year Christmas offering and uh, just ask you to pray about doing that and following the Lord. If he doesn't lead you to do it, certainly do not do that. But we want to present it and make it available. You can give online as well if you do that. There's a place in the drop down there where you can give towards this as well. Well, Mark chapter 1 this morning is where we are. Mark chapter 1. I wanted to mention to pray for Miss June Wood. Um, Brother David Wood is a man who has been uh, one of our missionaries for many years. He's had a huge impact in our nation and around the world in evangelism, training people to be um, soul winners, to be personal evangelizers everywhere that they go. Our church has supported him for many years. As just a boy, I remember sitting underneath his teaching, uh, and it had a great impact on me as just a boy. Just in August, um, Dr. Clark and I went to... Uh, Pigeon Forge area because they had their annual meeting and Brother David was just as energetic in that meeting as I remember him as a boy, just as visionary in that meeting as I remember him as a boy. But he did something very unusual in the meeting. Uh, there was a young man that's sitting on the second row and uh, he is a man that had been serving underneath Brother Wood for, for several years and Brother David said, I, I feel good, I'm in good health as far as I know, but I know my age and I know that anything can happen to us at any time and so today I want you to know that I'm presenting to you this brother who's going to be leading our ministry and I'm going to be serving with him, but he is the new leader of Go International and he kind of transferred leadership at that meeting in August to him and uh, just this week on Thursday night, he and Miss June were in Pigeon Forge and uh, just taking a few days of vacation. They went to a dinner, sh a dinner uh, show that evening and came back to their hotel. And just that quick, uh, David had a heart attack and entered the presence of the Lord. And uh, so be praying for Miss June and that ministry. But literally thousands of national pastors and Christians in America and around the world have been trained by 
uh, Brother David Wood, and he, he leaves a lasting impact on so many lives. But we want to be praying for them, and of course our church supports them. And so if you get an opportunity to uh, send an email, a note to Miss June, I know that she would appreciate that. Well, we are back in Mark chapter 1. This is our fifth sermon. There is a sermon guide in your bulletin. How many of you have your Bibles this morning? Would you raise that up? Because I know this makes the devil good and mad when we do this. And I hope you bring your Bible to church because every Sunday the the, uh, focal point of what we do is opening up the Word of God and studying the Word of God and seeing what He has for us. And so this is our fifth sermon in this series that we have called Following Jesus. And uh, we are going to, Lord willing, take a big chunk today and finish up chapter number 1 as we look at verses 21 through 45. So the preliminaries are now done. Jesus has been baptized by John the baptizer. He has been in the wilderness tested. And now we see the actual accounts of the events of his ministry as we go into this. It is a, a longer section this morning, so... If you are not able to stand, we certainly understand that. If you're able to uh, stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to do that as we look at verses 21 through 45 together. And I will read as quickly as I can through this section. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God." And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region, round about Galilee, and forthwith when... They were come out of the synagogue. They entered into the house of Simon, that is Peter, and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon or immediately they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed of devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door." And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. 
And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed, and he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Father, again, this is your word. We surrender ourselves underneath its authority. This morning, we pray, God, that you would speak to us. We are reminded in this passage of what an awesome God you are, that you came to this earth, but you did not give up your deity. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning through this scripture. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The text today covers a a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus Christ. And as you can tell, it was a busy day in the life of Jesus And as I was reading this text and rereading through this in preparation for it, a word that is mentioned twice in the the text came to my mind over and over again. And it is the word that I use to describe the title of the sermon, and it is authority. The authority of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would encourage you in verse 22 and also in verse 27 to mark this word. In verse 22, it says, For he taught them as one that had authority. In verse number 27, it says, With authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. So with his words and with his works, Jesus Christ again reveals his powerful authority. They, like his experience in the wilderness that he had and also his unique baptism experience, they point to the deity of Jesus Christ. This is indeed who John the baptizer said that he was when he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, which is able to take away the sins of the world. And remember as we go through this that Jesus is teaching us by his life. He is reminding you and I page after page of who he is. And he is leaving for us an example that we might follow. So I want you to see several things from the text this morning. First of all, about his authority. We see his authority in the synagogue in verse 21 and 22. And what we notice is that there is something very different about the teaching of Jesus than the other rabbis who were there. He is not just another teacher. The synagogue was basically a a layman's institution. If, If you came to the synagogue on the Sabbath and you had been studying the law and you had something to share, you had something to give to the people, you would make that known to the rabbi and you would then teach. And this is why we see in the life of Jesus Christ and also later in the life of the Apostle Paul that we find them constantly going to the synagogue to teach because it was an open opportunity for them to preach the scriptures to those who already had somewhat of a knowledge of the law. Now remember that the Gospels uh, all give us accounts of Jesus' ministry. Some of them give us more detail. Mark does not give a lot of detail. So Luke fills in some of the detail that Mark leaves out that I believe is important for us to notice this morning because Luke tells us when Jesus went to teach in the synagogue what specifically he was teaching. 
Jesus was teaching, according to Luke chapter 4, verse 17, he was teaching from Isaiah 61. And this was what he would have stood and read. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are are bound. I want you this morning to put yourself in the synagogue. Put yourself in the synagogue where Jesus was teaching This was not, I'm sure, the first time that Isaiah 61.1 had been read, but today was different. Because all the times before when the rabbis would get up to read Isaiah 61 verse 1, they were prophesying of a Messiah who would come. Before Jesus had come, when they read it, they were speaking of one who was yet to come. But when Jesus unrolled the scroll and began to read Isaiah 61, he was not reading about a coming Messiah. He was reading about himself. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 61. He was not not quoting a scribe. He quoted himself. He was not referring to a tradition. He was referring to his own person. Absolute authority, absolute assurance was in the teaching of Jesus Christ. And it gripped the hearts of these people. And the reason was that it was not stuffed with a lot of extra traditions that the Jewish rabbis and the Jewish scribes would add to support their agendas The Lord cut right through all the tangled mass of religious tape and he took the people back to the Bible, back to the Word of God. He spoke to their hearts, he spoke to their minds, he spoke to their conscience and their will and he spoke with authority, the Holy Spirit Spirit bearing witness to the truth of his Word. You know, even the enemies of Jesus declared this about him in John 7, verse 46. Never a man spake like this man. They never heard anything like it. So Jesus gets up and he reads from Isaiah 61.1. And then Luke tells us that he gives a staggering declaration. In Luke chapter 4 verse 21, after he reads it, it says this, And he began to say unto to them, Now just imagine being in the room when he says, This day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. The one that you are listening to at this moment is that coming Messiah. He is speaking of me. I want to talk for just a moment. We mentioned it briefly when we began studying this series about how Jesus surrendered himself to God's will. And so what we see here is that every every authority, every power that Jesus uses, it is given to him from God. It is delegated authority. So when Jesus took on humanity, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And so these miracles that he is doing, although he certainly has the power to do them because he is God, these, these are given to him by God the Father as he took on human flesh and surrendered uh, surrender to his will. And I think it's so important because I want to remind us this morning as Christians, listen, we also have been given delegated authority. 
We have been given delegated authority by the word of God. You say, where do you find that? Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus gave the great commission, notice what he said. He said, all power, all authority is given to us to do what? To share the gospel, to fulfill the great commission, to go out and to make disciples. So delegated authority is given to us by one that had been, had been uh, also given delegated authority to heal and to cast out demons. I think a school crossing guard, not ours in Jamestown because they're actually police officers, but if you go to a lot of, uh, a lot of larger towns, you might see a, a crossing guard who is not a police officer. They have on the jersey, they, they, they don't really have any authority in and of themselves in, a, in their position. But for some reason, when this real tiny lady who has this orange vest puts her hands up, not being a real police officer, people don't just run over her. They respect her because she has the backing of the county. She has the backing of the state. She has been given delegated authority to be able to raise her hand and to stop traffic. And I guess she has some way to call the police if they don't do it so that they can arrest her. But I, that's, that's the same as what we see in our life that he has given us. You say, upon whose authority, upon whose power do we present the gospel to this earth? And I say that it is delegated to us to be ambassadors of God, to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent him. Although in our flesh we are weak, we are puny Because God is behind us, we have power, we have authority to share the gospel. We see Jesus' authority in the synagogue. We also see his authority, secondly, over satanic forces in verses 23 through 28. Jesus is speaking with such authority in the synagogue, something happens that I don't know happens very often in a synagogue. Again, something was different about the teaching of Jesus, but there is a man who stands up in the service and he screams out, or the demon screams out, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, verse 24, thou Jesus of Nazareth. Now one thing this incident reminds us of is that it is possible to sit in a religious service and belong to Satan. It is possible to sit in a church service and belong to Satan. It is possible to be a member of a church and not a member of the kingdom of God. It is possible for someone to stand and to sing, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, but yet to have a reservation in hell and not heaven. Jesus says in another place, there'll be many that say unto me, Lord, Lord, we've done all these things. We've cast out demons and devils in thy name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. We talked about this this morning in, in our faith group, that, it is, uh, that religion in America has become an idol that has distracted people from entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I encounter it all the time. People who who say, I believe in God, I know there's a God, and they are expecting fully to go to heaven because of good that they have done or because of their religion. And I want to tell you that that is a great trap of the devil because no one will enter heaven unless they have been born again. 
Or as the Bible explains, they have put their faith in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I beg you, if you're here this morning, you may have sat through church, but there's never been a time where you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for you to do that. What terrified the demon? What upset him? What made him speak out? Because typically demons are satisfied to be behind the scenes, to be unheard, to be unseen, to work behind the scenes. But he could not help himself. And I can't, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that what terrified the demon was the truth. He knew that with the arrival of Jesus was the arrival of the truth. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, the life. And the demon knew that they had developed this untrue, false system of religion that was highly successful in Israel and it held people captive in their damnation. It it helped people put their faith in something that was good but was not eternal. And just like they do, they disguise as angels of light. They hide in the middle of false, cold, and dead religion. And remember that Satan is before all things a liar and a murderer. Truth is therefore deadly to the demonic operation. And so this is where the initial conflict comes. You remember in John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus, not speaking to the worldlings in the world, but Jesus speaking to the religious Jews of his day, says in John 8, 44, ye... Ye, religious Jews, are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And unfortunately, there are religious services and ceremonies all around the world that are going on today where there is much demonic activity going on there behind the scenes. You see, Jesus reminds us, Paul reminds us in his writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the, the, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, In high places, demons make up the army of Satan. They go all the way back to the fall of Satan. Now notice Jesus doesn't do a chant. He doesn't doesn't, uh, say we we need to follow a formula, formula of exorcism. We need to follow these rituals. He simply tells the demon, be quiet and come out. Literally, he uses one Greek word here that is translated, be muzzled. And get out. In Christ's day, the, the Talmud, where scribes added their traditions, added their ideas, added their agendas, their formulas of the Old Testament. In the Talmud, scribes, scribes were shown how to exercise demons. They were instructed to, to take a knife that was made of iron, to tie it to a thorn bush by a braid of hair from the person who they supposed was possessed of a demon, and to do that three days in a row while saying some kind of formula. Then on the third day, they were to go back and to say that special formula again that would drive the demon from the person's body. 
Jesus doesn't ask for a knife. He doesn't go for a hair. He simply says, be quiet and come out. This is the authority of Jesus over satanic powers. Let me remind you this morning, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We need not fear. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. The demons obey the command of Jesus. This wasn't something you saw every day in the synagogue. The people asked, is this a new doctrine? No, it was no new doctrine at all. They had not heard much of of the truth, obviously, right? (laughs) They had heard a lot of fluff. They want to know, is this a new doctrine? No, it was the timeless truth that was stripped of all the traditionalism and all the error that had been added to those those people's lives. It was a truth that was backed up by a life in touch with heaven. And that is, let me say, what the world needs today, isn't it? To remove the fluff, to remove the legalism, the ritualism, the rationalism, the emotionalism, the hypocrisy, and to see a true work of God, the Spirit of God, wedded to the doctrine of God's Word. Then notice verse 28, immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. I guess so. Again, the demons are typically content to stay undercover. And what happened in the ministry of, in the life of Jesus Christ, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, is something that, that we did not see in parallel before his coming or even after his coming. In the Old Testament, there is very few, if any, references to demons. There's a, there, there are a few references to them. There are two instances after Jesus left when his apostles were given this same authority uh, where people were possessed. Acts 16, Acts chapter 19. None that are recorded in the epistles that were written. But demon possession has always been around. It was just never so manifest in all biblical history as it was during Jesus' earthly ministry. There's no such thing in the Bible as an exorcism. Somehow that's crept into our churches and religious circles too. Jesus commanded and they left. Jesus delegates this power to his apostles and they did the same. And we see as we read scripture, the only people that I find who had demons in them were non-believers. And he spoke them out by the power of his own authority. His own authority. Listen to what John MacArthur writes. What makes demons scream is the authority of Christ. It terrifies them, and it should terrify the sinner as well, just as it does demons. The difference in sinners, the difference is sinners don't understand the reality of their doom. Demons do. It's not enough to be amazed by Jesus. The simply amazed people and the terrified demons will spend forever in the same lake of fire. Jesus doesn't want your astonishment. He doesn't want your amazement. He wants your fear. He wants you to fear him as judge and then run to him as savior. You see, if the love and the grace of Jesus doesn't drive you to him, 
Maybe the fact that there is coming a day where he will come, as we've talked about on Sunday night, as judge will drive you to Jesus. Because there is coming a day. We see Jesus' authority in the synagogue. We see his authority over satanic forces. By the way, we have been given in Matthew 28 the delegated authority to take the gospel to the world. And it is the gospel that will bring deliverance in people's lives. It is the gospel that will break the chains of sin, Brother Jason, and deliver people eternally from their sin. And you and I have been given the delegated authority to take the gospel. Listen, I say it often. The power is not in you and I. The power is not in our personality. The power is not in our persuasiveness. The power is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We simply take the gospel. And God has delegated us this authority. Thirdly, I want you to see his authority over sickness. And I'll briefly mention this because it's much like his authority over the satanic forces. We see two instances in the text where Jesus exercises his authority over sickness. First with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And I want you to see the the great spiritual picture that is here. She was in the clutches of death. She was at the, the point of death. And Jesus Christ gives her new life. And what does she do? Some people have used this to make a joke about what women are supposed to do, and I'm going to skip right over that part. What does she do? She gets up and serves them. And I want you to think about this in a spiritual aspect because the same is true of you and I, that we were, at the, we were in the clutches of death. The wages of sin is What? Death. And I want to encourage you that our response should be the same as Peter's dear mother-in-law. That when we are, are given life after we've been in the clutches of death, that our first response ought to be, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? Let me serve you. Let me worship you. Jesus did not need an audience to exercise his power, did he? He didn't need a crowd His healing could be in a cottage with just a few people or or it could be outside with thousands of people watching. The size of the crowd was incidental to Jesus. He fulfilled this commission by God, whether it was in front of many or in, in front of just a few. And let me ask you, do we serve Jesus that way? Do we have to be in front of the crowds? Do we have to be in front of the limelights? Are we willing to serve Jesus Behind the scenes. And then we see in verses 40 through 45 that Jesus also heals a leper. And I wish I had time this morning to go into all that leprosy represents and all that it was. But I want to rather draw your attention, since we have a short time this morning, to the end of the story. For some reason, and we could speculate, speculate and talk about all the, the possible reasons why, Jesus told this leper to depart and not to go and tell anybody that he had been healed. But rather to to go through, this was pre-cross, to go through the Mosaic Law's procedures. But look at, at verse 45. Jesus says, don't go tell anybody. But he went out and he began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. 
And of course, the result of that is Jesus was bombarded with people. You say, why did he do that? I think personally, he had a case of the can't help it. He couldn't help it. He had just been delivered from leprosy. Do you know how leprosy isolated people from from everything, from the church, from their family? It isolated them from everything. I, I can only imagine that if we were at the, in the clutches of death by cancer and we were on our last leg and someone said, here, let me, let, let me heal you. Let me give you this medicine and in an instant you're going to be healed, Brother Terry. Now, when you leave here, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody that there's a magical healing pill to heal cancer. And as you walk out of that hospital room, you're walking by a little girl with cancer, with leukemia, with death about to take her life. And you walk on a few steps more to a a mother and, and her husband and children that are there. And there she has on the rag on her head, pale white, as cancer is literally sucking the life out of her. And you take a few more steps and finally you say, I can't help it anymore i got to go tell these people there is a cure. You see, it's odd because this man was given a command to keep quiet, and yet he couldn't. And you and I, we've been given the command to go tell, and we keep quiet. We see the spiritual applications in the healing. Jesus is a healing over and his authority over sickness. Can we do anything less than spread around the news that Jesus Christ has made a difference? Because listen, you and I have the cure for something far greater than cancer. We have the cure for sin. We have the cure for eternal damnation. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to be separated from God for eternity can put your faith in the gospel and he will save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lastly, we see his authority's source. Again, remember Jesus Christ as our example and seeing how he had been delegated authority and power to heal and to cast out demons and that he has delegated to us the authority to take the gospel to the world. There are some important principles that I want to close with as we wrap up this morning. I want you to see, first of all, that Jesus was diligent with his devotion, his prayer life. Look at verse 35. I believe with my whole heart that he wanted to fellowship with the Father, but I also know he was leaving a pattern for his disciples. He was leaving a pattern for you and I, and it says that in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and he departed into a solitary place and there prayed. What makes this even more convicting is to look at the day that Jesus had just had. One of the busiest days recorded in Scripture. And yet he rises up early to pray. It was a priority in the life of Jesus. And let me say this, he left us that example because it should be a priority in the life of every Christian. If we have a relationship 
with God through Jesus Christ. And that is the core of our Christianity is our relationship with God. Then don't you think that communication is important to any relationship? And prayer is our avenue of communication. And Jesus gives us this example. He was diligent with his devotion. He must have been tired, worn out as a man, yet he rises early in the morning to go and to pray. It was Martin Luther that said this, I am so busy now that if I did not spend three hours each morning in prayer, I cannot get through the day. I am too busy, he said, to miss my time of prayer. I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of days I said, I'm too busy today. Too much on the agenda. Too many people to see. Too many meetings. Too many places to go to spend time with Jesus. Hey, the busier you are, the more you have on your plate, Brother Jason, the more important prayer ought to be in our life. The more of a priority, Shane, it ought to be to us to spend that time alone with God every day in prayer. He leaves us this example. He was diligent with his devotion. But secondly, and I love this, don't miss this. We're we're truly almost done. This is my third and final ending. (laughs) One thing about Peru is I could have 15 endings and they would be sitting there just ready for more. This is powerful. He was consistent with his priority. Not only with his devotion, but his priority was his message. And I want you to see this so clearly, verse 36 and 7. Simon and they that were with him followed after him. Look at verse 37 again. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Uh, Jesus, uh, I think we have something going here. I think we can start a healing crusade. I think that we can start a deliverance crusade, get a tent out, and really bring them all in for you to heal them, for you to deliver demons. You've really showed something the last 24 hours, and they're all here to see you, Jesus. They all seek thee. By the way, they knew where to go find Jesus, too. They knew where they would find him. Because he had been there before, praying. But look what Jesus said in verse 38. Let's go into the next towns. That I may what? That I may what? That I may what? Preach there also. Notice this. For therefore, for what? Me preaching. For therefore came I forth. Sounds a lot like this, what Jesus said in another place. I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's why I'm here. You might say, no, wait a second, that's cruel. They had brought their families. They had brought their friends. They were ready to be healed. They they were ready for deliverance. This is so insensitive. This is cruel of Jesus. Why did he do this? Listen, because ladies and gentlemen, he did not come to this earth primarily to heal. He came to save souls. He came to preach the kingdom of God. 
Because listen, he can heal you today and sooner or later you're going to die. He can physically touch you today and you still are going to die at some point. There's something far more important than temporary healing. And that is your eternal soul. And Jesus says, this is the reason that I have come. To preach the gospel, to seek and to save. Healing was not his priority. Yeah, he could have, he could have opened a healing station. He would, have, he would have closed down every pharmacy and every doctor's office in Capernaum and in Galilee. But he didn't do it because Jesus did not come to earth to heal. He had, he had his priorities in line. And he says basically in Mark 1.38, I have come to preach the gospel. That's why I have come. Yes, these men seek physical healing from me, but all men have not heard the gospel. These are people, there are people in this town, there's people in that town, there's people in those towns around us that have not heard the most important message. I'll heal a few to prove who I am. I'll I'll heal them along the way. I'll have compassion on them but I will preach to them the gospel. That was Jesus' mission. Let me say this in closing, that I believe that's one of our greatest problems, is the inability to determine priorities, Tim. The inability to determine what is most important in life. I want to challenge us this morning as we leave here to view ourselves maybe differently than we did when we came in. In America, when we meet somebody, hello, my name is Josh, I'm Jonathan. As we begin to converse, one of the first questions we ask is, what do you do? What do you do? I'm an electrician, I build houses, I'm a car salesman. I'm a nurse, I'm a school teacher, I have a business that I run, I'm a doctor. That might be what you do, but that's not who you are. Not as a child of God. Because when Jesus left this earth, he said, ye shall be my, what? Witnesses. That's who you are. You have been delegated authority not to heal, not to cast out demons. You've been delegated authority to deliver the power of the gospel that can change people's lives for eternity. You see, we're here for more than a paycheck. We're here for more than just to pay the bills. We're here to present the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I truly believe this with all my heart. That if we would get a hold of this in 2023. That if we would see ourselves as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Like the early church did. You know what it says about them? You know what their critics said? You have turned your city upside down. This is not the same place. You know what they said about them? You have brought great joy to this city, Acts chapter 8. You brought great joy to this city. How? 
by bringing the gospel, by being witnesses everywhere we go. You see, those people were sovereignly scattered. Trials and tribulations had filled their life. They were sovereignly scattered by God for one purpose, that the gospel would go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Peru, around the world, to the uttermost parts of the world. That's why he came. And let me say this, church, that is why we are here. That's who we are. We are to be his witnesses. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the authority that you demonstrated, proving again your deity, that you were God. Leaving us an example. We're reminded this morning of the delegated authority that we have been given to preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, help us to be your witnesses. God, in this story, we see a man who sat in a religious service like so many are doing today, and yet they don't know you. I pray if there's someone like that here this morning that the Holy Spirit of God will arrest them and that they will come to a place, a moment where they put their faith and trust in you, not in anything good that they've done, not in good intentions, but they put their faith and trust in you and you alone, and they are born again. Ye must be born again. That's the words you gave to Nicodemus, a very religious man. You must be born again, Nicodemus, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Pray if there's someone like that watching or they're here that they would come to know you today. And I pray for us as believers, Lord, we are, we're not what we should be. I pray that you will speak to us this morning, challenge our hearts, help us to find a place of surrender. Right here, Lord, to pray, to be better witnesses for you. Time is short. Think about David Wood. What a that's how he saw himself everywhere he went, a witness just a moment his life is gone and God it challenged me this week even in my study who's gonna who's gonna fill that gap who's gonna step in I pray Lord that everywhere we go we would see ourselves as your ambassadors and your missionaries no one's looking around just yet I wonder if there's someone here and you would say I I don't know for sure that I've been born again what you call born again I don't know that I've been saved but but I want to know I promise not to embarrass you this morning but I do want to pray for you is there anyone here that would just say that's me I don't know that I've been born again I don't know but I want to know how many of you as Christians and we're not going to waste a lot of time but you would just say God's spoken to my heart this morning about something specific in my Christian life God's spoken to my heart would you raise your hand would you raise your hand all across the room? Thank you so much. Let's stand and sing. If God's spoken to you, the altar.